following is a special presentation of the Mars Attacks podcast, member of Talking Metal Digital. Two parties will present their cases, and the judge will select the be-all and all track that will represent music for all eternity. Welcome to Mars Attacks, my favorite kiss, featuring Chris from the Decibel Geek podcast, Talking Metal Digital's own Mitch Lafon. Here is your host and the judge, Victor. Welcome one and all to a new series here on Mars Attacks called My Favorite, what else but My Favorite Kiss. Joining me for the show, the illustrious panel of Mitch Lafon from One on One with Mitch Lafon. Good day, sir. And we have Chris Sinzak from Decibel Geek. Now, did I pronounce your name right this time? Yes, you did. How's it, how's it going? Not not too bad. I thought Practice. he was from the Vinnie Vincent fan club. <laughs> well, I do that too. <laughs> he actually is Vinnie. He just doesn't tell people. That's it. If that's the case, Vinnie's really fallen on some hard times. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's another talk for another episode. Though. That's right. Uh, go ahead, Victor. We don't want to take over your show. Sorry. Uh, no, no problem at all. So basically, the the premise behind this show is Mitch and Chris have both selected three songs that they currently. I mean, the, these songs are all subjective and can change from time to time. We understand, but at this very moment, they're going to present us with three songs which they feel best represent Paul Stanley. Tommy Thayer and Mark St. John. And yes. from the the tracks that they select, I will either be the tiebreaker or pick the quote unquote be all end all that will represent this member of KISS for the rest of their career. Well, for that split second. But anyway, <laughs> the, the idea here is to have a fun discussion on what else? Kiss. Correct. So, so kicking things off, let's let's go with the man that's been with the band from the start. And I should also say that the episode will focus on guitarists, obviously. This is going to be part one of the guitarist discussion. And the idea is to bring you these episodes once a month. So kicking things off with Paul Stanley, Mitch Give us one of your picks for Paul Stanley. Uh, well, I'm going old school, staying 70s with Paul. Uh, I'm going to start off with Come On and Love Me. I think that's uh, a great, great track that Paul plays on. And I think, obviously, all four parts of that make the song sound great. But I think, you know, Paul's guitar and, and, and vocal are, are the key to Come On and Love Me. Without a doubt, a track that they... Uh, still play from from time to time. Well, actually, yeah, they've they've played that fairly recently, haven't they? Uh, I think two thousand nine was the last time. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if it was you know with the original lineup, but I mean, it was somewhat in the recent past. Yeah. But... Yeah. But yeah, listen, it's it's a great track, and it really should be played more often, but. The the Kiss set list discussion is is another 
episode or another 10 episodes because it is always a frustrating thing. Yeah. I saw them play that song on the reunion tour and they did it. I think it was right after God of Thunder. And, you know, because that song kind of plods along and it's a highlight anyway. But when they broke into that, it, the crowd just it sort of pepped the crowd back up. It's a good live song. Yeah, it's a, it's a great song. I, I don't understand why it's not one of the uh, staples of of what the band does live. Um, you know, you go back to those first three albums and there's a lot of songs that, that represent kiss better than anything they've done after that. They just continuously ignore, but come on and love me. Is this great? I think it was one of the first ones that had a promo film, not even video back in the day. And, um, it just, I, I just never tire of that. And, you know, uh, I had the uh, killer dwarves redo it on this, uh, a world with heroes EP that we put out in August. And even when another band does it, it still comes across as a great song. But, uh, you know, I think Paul's parts, his rhythms and everything are are essential to what makes that, that track stand out. I like that it gives you a glimpse into the the. it's really autobiographical for the, the period that he wrote it. Because I was listening to I listened, I just finished his audio book where he reads it to you. And you could he talks pretty frankly about those songs that he wrote back then about. Basically, the song's basically about nailing a groupie, but, you know, he's like, the those songs were so stream of consciousness that you could put a gun to his head today, and he couldn't replicate something like that. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's great. Great, great track. So, um, yeah, there you go. That's, that's pick number one. Shall I go through all three, or shall we go to, uh, to Chris and one of his wonderful tracks? We'll go to Chris and one of his wonderful Kiss tracks. Okay, um... I'm gonna. I'll, I'll. I have one for the early period too that I'm gonna pick, and uh, that one would be "Got to Choose." I think. Uh, I think the riff on that that song. That's still say that song. If you know the Rolling Stones or Bad Company had released that song back when it came out, it would have been a, a chart topper. I just think it's. I think it was unfairly maligned because of Kiss being the makeup band and all, but. That song stood out to me in particular when um, I saw them do play the 100th anniversary Gibson show in Nashville, and they, they broke that one out after a long time. And it really stood out. It's just like, this is a really great rock and roll song, and it's it's just pieced together well. The you know I know we're talking about Paul, but like the solo's great on it. The drumming's great on it. It just has a really good laid-back 70s groove. It's, it sounds dated for its time, but I just think it's a great 70s rock and roll song. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, the version they did on Kiss Unplugged, which was the Japanese bonus track and eventually on the box set, uh, just shows that it holds up because any song that you can play acoustic or strip it down and it still moves you and still sounds great. That's that's the hallmark of a perfect song. Yeah, And so, it also know? it also showcases the, you know, their vocal, you know, talent also because of the, the harmony vocals on it. It's just it's a great song to sing along to. Absolutely. Awesome. So let's throw the ball back to Mitch. What is pick number two, Mr. LaFon? Are we sticking with Paul? Then uh, I'm going to go with Making Love. Um, again, uh, just a nice dual guitar attack. The rhythms complement the leads and, and vice versa. I think Ace and Paul play off of each other extremely well. And, uh, you know, again, vocally, Paul nails it. Just a great song, a great guitar-driven rock and roll song. Um, meat and potatoes, for for the lack of a, a better word or a better term, uh, right? 
Yeah, a fun song. Um, it's Paul was clearly uh, inspired by Communication Breakdown when he wrote that one because it's the riff is very similar. But uh, why, if you know, if you're going to copy, copy from the best, right? Or copy from the best that copy other people. So. Right. So, so, so copy the bluesman down the street, or right. or the blues magoos, or whoever the hell. <laughs> but no, it's a it's a barn burner of a song, especially for that that era of the band. That's one of the heavier tracks they, that he ever wrote. Yeah. And in terms of, uh, you know, guitar songs, that's one of Kiss's better guitar songs. They, they, they're both in the pocket and it just it just drives it just for three and a half minutes or whatever it is, three and a half. I think it, it it's just great. It You know, certainly better than death. Also, it would sound awesome if they broke it out now. <laughs> that's stupid, <laughs> stupid set list. <laughs> Back to the set list discussion. That's right. Here. Let's pay three thousand dollars to go on a cruise and hear rock and roll all night. Let's fly out to Vegas and hear rock and roll all night. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. We're gonna do something special. I, I still think with the um with those residencies, Def Leppard by far has everyone beat with Everybody they... has Kiss beat with the residencies. Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, soon Ozzy. Um sure. yeah. Cher, Motley Crue is is in the same sort of avenue as Kiss, where you know they they they're playing the same songs they've been doing since for the past fifteen years, and they got back together again. So, well, the problem with Motley is this: their hits are their songs. Everything else was filler. Whereas Kiss has a lot of great songs that they just don't play. If Motley Crue started playing "Dancing on Glass" or "Nona." People would leave in droves because nobody wants to hear the stuff that wasn't popular. They're, they just—they have A-list songs, and we don't care about songs. That's, oh, that's I, dis- I totally disagree with you on that one, Mitch. Well, yeah, but you, you'd be wrong, and I'd be right. Oh, whatever. <laughs> you, you mean See? you would hear them pull out Starry Eyes or, uh, you know. That over Dr. Feelgood? No. Well, that's Dr. Feelgood, though, but, I mean, they could they could make room for stuff. Yeah, but listen, with the exception of maybe Tommy Lee, could the rest of the guys even tempt to play the other songs? Well, that's a whole different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have room for backing tracks on so much, you know. Right. The, the poor guy who runs the board in the back trying to figure out what what uh, keystroke to hit to get a, a rhythm out would be too confused if they mixed it up. Yeah, that guy's the MVP of the band. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Him and the backing tracks, the triggers. Yeah. Uh, all Sorry, right. derailing it again. Sorry, Victor. No, no, no problem. You're number two. Let's let's see. You're number, yeah. Let's go with your number two, Chris. Uh, okay. This is an oddball choice because it comes from an album that I don't like at all. But uh, Paul does a fantastic guitar solo on it, and that's "World Without Heroes." It's uh, I know it's it's a Gene song, but. I think that uh, when I was a kid and, you know, started watching all the old bootlegs and stuff and I got to the elder period and, like, you know, most of what I'd heard from Paul was just rhythm guitar playing and then I see this video clip and he's playing the solo and it's a damn good guitar solo. It's a, it's one of the best solos, I think, in the entire Kiss catalog and it's and he's the one that wrote it. Uh, I give the guy total credit for stepping up to the plate, especially during a time that Ace was probably on his back and, uh, you know... Good on you, Paul. I just I think it's an awesome, awesome guitar solo. It is. 
I mean, it's a, it, I like the song. I think it's a cool song. The the album itself is not would be a lot better if the production had been changed. It, it was a mess production wise, but was a world with heroes. Um, you know, it, the the name of that song inspired the tribute CD that I did, the A World with Heroes. So can't complain. It it, it had a source of inspiration at some point, I guess, for me. Um, well, and it also it um. Like you said, uh, with Got to Choose, with Unplugged, it really kind of made it shine in a new light. Because the H1 production of it is, let's just say, that product, the production of that song especially, it just screams 1981. So when they broke it out Unplugged, it's like, I, I remember playing that for other people. And they're like, that's a damn good song. What album's that on? I'm like, it's from The Elder. And they're like, really? So, yeah. you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it, it's kind of a hidden treasure. And much like when they started playing uh, The Oath on the cruise, only the cruise, because, you know, only the privileged get to hear that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But again, those ones in 2013 and 2014 sounds better. And people go, wow, that's from a world. Yeah, sorry, from The Elder. And it's because the production was so awful that a lot of those songs just couldn't shine. And and it's a pity. It's a pity. I agree. All right. Awesome. Let's go with pick number three, Mitch. Uh, again, going straight to the guitar-driven. We're going to, uh, I guess, 1977 and the Love Gun album, the original album, not the uh, deluxe edition. <clears throat> uh, um, that's a whole other story. But we got a lot not- of topics. I, I haven't been on a Kiss show in a while, so I've got a lot of bent-up Kiss frustrations. But uh, I Stole Your Love. Uh <laughs> Again, another another one where there's that dual guitar where the rhythm complements the leads and the leads complement the rhythm and the song just drives for three minutes. It doesn't plot along. It doesn't have all kinds of weird bridges and breaks. And it just hits you in the face for three minutes and keeps driving. So, you know, since we're talking guitars and guitar solos and songs that signify their guitar sound, that's another one right there. I Stole Your Love. Very cool. Yep. Uh, another, obviously, is we've gone with um, Paul Solo's back-to-back, so yeah. pretty, pretty cool selections there. Chris, your number three? My number three is I Stole Your Love. Yeah. Oh, oh no kidding. Okay. That's the yeah. first the first song I ever saw Kiss play live in person was I Stole Your Love on the Hot in the Shade Tour, and it it is ingrained in my memory, and that song will always hold a special place for me. Yeah. It, it It's... Kiss should have been doing more songs like that. As we started getting towards Dynasty and towards Unmasked and again, The Elder, and all, if they had stuck to that formula and just changed the lyrics, you know, Kissery would be completely different. They, they would be considered probably by, by their peers more of a hard rock metal band than just, oh, those are the guys that wear makeup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. It's a, yeah, it's a great song. I, the the dual solos and the breakdown on it it just yeah i'll never forget here because you know in 1990 there was no internet so i didn't know what they were going to play to open the show and you know i'm like 13 years old and all of a sudden boom here comes the intro to that that why i don't know why that song isn't used as an opener more often because that's a fantastic song to open a show with agreed there's a good 15 or 16 songs that would be perfect openers and like fanfare (laughs) <laughs> just a boy. Can you imagine the lights go down. You hear, I'm just a boy. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. Shall we? Shall we move along to either Mark or Tommy? Well, um, 
we we have to declare that I stole your love is the track that will represent Paul yeah. because the two of you guys selected it, so you guys made things easy for me. That's I right. was already looking at the the other tracks and saying, all right, which one of these am I picking? So I stole your love is the definitive Paul Stanley track. So Absolutely. let's let us now move on to Mr. Tommy Thayer. Figure we'd go from the guy that started the band to the guy that's currently in the band. So um, anything Tommy Thayer related, as long as it stays within the band Kiss, um, is is fair play. Although, you know, we can debate whether um, that one black and blue song, which became Domino, if, if that's fair game or not. No. <laughs> that comes up. <laughs> Hold on to eighteen and and what was the other one? What was that one nasty, called? Nasty, nasty. nasty, nasty. No, nasty. no, 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 no. I'm go, I'm going to go with what they've been using as a set opener recently, or at least in the last you know year. Uh, Psycho Circus for me is I'm going to go with that as being the Tommy song. Uh, you know, it came out in uh, what was it? Ninety seven, I guess it was ninety eight. And uh, it was supposed to be the original Kiss, and and that was the first video, and there was the 3D imaging for the tour, and this and that. And all these years later, we find out that that dun 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 dun, all that buildup is all Tommy Thayer. Uh, you know, he ghosted on it, but uh, it's a great track. I think people still enjoy it. They still play it in 2014. Um, you know, we didn't know it then, but we know it now. That's a great. Tommy track. Hmm, I agree. It's a good one. It's a yeah. It, I that was one of the solos where I could believe it was Ace when I listened to it. He did a good job making the, making it sound like it. And I'm not making fun of him at all. It just it's a good solo. If he if he wrote that solo, then yeah, my hat's definitely off to him for that. Yeah, I don't know if he wrote it or not, but I know he played on it. Or at least if you look at all the uh, you know news on the internet and and the storytelling and through different interviews I've done. Everything points to that's Tommy from top to bottom. And it's great. Great, great track. Cool. Chris, you're number one for Tommy. Uh, I've got one also from Psycho Circus. Um, it's not the, – the lyrically, it's kind of, it's a pretty cheesy song, but uh, I Pledge Allegiance to the State of Rock and Roll is uh, musically a great track. I think the lyrics really hurt it, but um, – yeah, I think the in the solo on this song, wow. I mean, he really tears it up on that solo. It's just, I think it's one of the best solos on the whole album. And um, yeah, I, I think he did a, a really commendable job on that on the on the, on the whole album. Really, um, I was I'm still upset to this day that of how dishonest the band was about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so am I. But you know, I actually had that on my list, and uh, then I decided, oh yeah, you know what? There's a, there's a song on Monster I like, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this one off. But I agree, that's a great song, and I, I like the cheese of the lyric. Do um, you? <laughs> well, listen, if you were going to um, base your 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 liking and loving of Kiss on their lyrics, then you would have to pretty much discount the entire discography because lyrically, it, it's just a lot of cheese. It's uh, yeah. I met a woman, I banged a woman. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, nothing to lose is anal sex. I mean, it's not exactly Shakespeare, which, yeah. by the way, I'm thankful for because I hate Shakespeare. But, you know, I think with Kiss, you sort of have to stick to does it make your feet tap? And if the answer is yes, it wins. It's good enough. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's um, I think I think it's good. 
it's good as a song on its own, but I think a whole album filled with songs of "We're the best, you're the greatest," blah blah. It just it get, and then the fact knowing that people other than Ace and Peter were do or playing on it, it just it comes off as a big disingenuous effort overall. But as a song True. on its, and I'll be honest, I was you know when the second coming video came out and they played that song over the end of it where they're getting the photo session for Psycho Circus. I got you know I I got a little choked up you know with the lyrics going to that and like the whole. I got caught up in the whole emotion of the reunion, and for that, it worked. And that's like almost with podcasting, as we all know, it's one of those be careful what you wish for things because as we've all learned all this stuff over the years, it's like, wow. I almost kind of wish I didn't know as much as I do, you know, when it comes to this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's the problem with getting close to bands sometimes is the more you know, the less you like him. And, and uh, that's unfortunately not how it's supposed to be, but it, it turns out to be like that in a lot of cases. But, uh, just going back lyrically uh, to what you just said, uh, if you're going to start discounting them uh, and being disingenuous, I mean, look at everything on Crazy Nights. Look at everything on Hot in the Shade. I mean, you know, uh, All Night, Bang Bang You. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, there you go. Not, not the greatest. All of a sudden, I feel as if Mitch has told me there is no Santa Claus. Well, there is. <laughs> With his description of Kiss lyrics. He just, um, he just, he just doesn't wear a star in a wig. Um, there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Mitch, your, your second selection? I'm just going to go with, with a, um, an original Spaceman track, uh, When Lightning Strikes. You know, it was his, his, his first shot at being... Um, the the spaceman the the tommy version of the spaceman and of course he he does sort of a from the sky space lyric but the song works and uh, it really is one of those songs that should be in the set list that should be played live um you know for for fans that pay for a cruise at least and um I just think it's great. I, I really think it's a missed opportunity that they just sort of left it sit there on Sonic Boom and haven't done more with it. Chris, anything to add to that? Um, that's my pick too. <laughs> so yeah. I made this is easy for you too, Vic. So yeah, uh, I, it's a it's an excellent song. I was looking forward to hearing "Out of This World" on Monster, and then it's a decent song, but it's too much of a Mississippi Queen ripoff to me. But I mean, when lightning strikes, kind of has its own character to it, and. You know, I know people are like, oh, forget about the. Sp-. It's not really a spaceman theme anyway, but no, it's, it's um, from the skies theme. But yeah, I know. But but the riff itself is good, and Tommy's vocals are really good on that song. I and really the then uh, the build up at the end of the solo when he goes up to the high note. That's a great guitar solo. That's one of those where like if you if you don't have an agenda and you don't have like a hatred towards him for wearing the makeup, you have to acknowledge that it's a good song. Absolutely agree. It's a great song. And uh, it, it's, again, a pity that they didn't pull that out and, and let Tommy have his spot during the shows on that tour. I mean, he really should have. And then you just mentioned the other song, Out of This World, and they let him have the spot, but he got to sing a minute and a half of that, and then he had to blend it into Shock Me, and you're uh, like, yeah, oh, well, just, just I, sing the whole bloody thing. Yeah, I think the guys put in. He's paid his dues. I think they he deserves to get to sing his own song. I, the whole thing with the shock me thing. It's like, it, and yeah, I know Ace is playing Love Gun and all that, but it's like when you have two songs that Tommy has sung, why not let the guy have his moment? You know, I, give the guy a break. You know, 
Yeah, and, just... and I don't want to harp on Paul's vocal issues, but he probably would benefit from having an extra three or four minutes of somebody else singing. Totally. And, you know, and I think the fans would dig it. And I think a lot of the fans that complain about the, oh, he's a ace ripoff, could start seeing his own personality and say, hey, you know what? When he sang his song, I was into it. And I, I think it would go a long way to calm some of those bashers down. But again, they choose not to do it. Yeah, it doesn't do him any favors. No, no. You know, who knows? Uh, number three. Are you at, did you pick your number two yet? Uh, that was. Oh, no. That was. You coincided with, with right. two. Right. It was that two when lightning strikes. Yep. Yeah. So then I so, shall go to, uh, to three. Uh, I'm just going to go with. I wanted to go with I Pledge Allegiance, but uh, I went with the. A bonus track on Monster, right here, right now. Hmm. Uh, it, it's not maybe very guitar heavy, but I think it's just another example of using Tommy tastefully in a song. And I just think it works. It's one of Kiss's best songs, you know, post-2000. And um, Tommy's uh, partly responsible. I mean, he wrote the song. He got a co-write on it. And so uh, I think it's just tastefully put together and it works. It's a great track. I like that one. It, it's it's a pretty good song. And, um, you know, uh, although I almost picked uh, Last Chance from Monster, but Tommy's got a lot of good playing on Monster. I mean, o- overall. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a good it's a good spotlight for him. And I thought he played more, you know, as himself on that album. I, didn't, I thought it was less of an attempt to say, okay, play what Ace would have played, you know. Absolutely. And if they could just get a producer that could have molded the album into something that sounded finished, uh, we really would have had something. Mm -hmm. Good choice. Yeah. So choice choice number three, Chris, uh, I'm going to pick Betrayed off of Hot in the Shade. I um, he co-wrote this and played acoustic and electric guitar on it. And uh, it's, uh, you know, Hot in the Shade is considered an overlong album. Too many songs. Uh Although I don't know how you can complain about having more Kiss songs than less, but uh, just hit fast forward. But this song, uh, as bad as Read My Body is on that album, I think this song is is a good testament to Gene kind of getting back into the game. And I think Tommy did a good job helping him out on this song. And it's just an interesting song. I uh, it's The lyrics aren't typically what you get from Gene, and it's no burn, bitch, burn, but it's pretty good. Put a log in. What was that? What's that lyric again? Put a log in the fire. Rips <laughs> its head. I'm gonna get on your case. I'm gonna put my log in your fireplace. <laughs> that's the greatest that's why lyric. I a Simmons Lumberyard commercial. Oh, that's the greatest. That's the greatest that's lyric ever. Putting uh, fireplaces for thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a lyric from from Betray that you'd like to recite there, Chris? Oh, uh, the John Astronomy special, of course. The it's the law of the jungle. If you've got the hunger. There you go. That's crazy. So, so the is, is obvious here. It is when lightning strikes. Yep, absolutely. Great song. Yep, absolutely. So, Mr. Mark St. John, obviously, he worked on Animalize. Yeah. And let's, let's go with your number one pick for Mark St. John, Mitch. You know, with, with Mark and, and Animalize, it's difficult because we all know that Bruce had some parts in there and he did some overdubs and stuff. So I'd, I'm going to pick these songs 
And if I find out later that Bruce played on him, eh, well, I apologize. But I'm going to go with Under the Gun. I think Under the Gun is great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a great riff. The song moves. Uh, another one of those lost favorites that, that should have, could have. And, um, yeah, and it, you know, Mark's playing, though. He sounded like a bumblebee on occasion. Uh, really? Well, he did. Uh, really? Got it, got it together for that song. So uh, my first Mark St. John one is uh, Under the Gun's a good one, although that's, that was one song where they started that whole trend in the 80s of we have to have a fast song on this album. And, you know, it's a good playing, but not, not I don't think there's a lot of uh, substance to that song personally. Um, I'm going to go with Thrills in the Night. I think the... I think this is a song that could fit on different eras of Kiss, or Kiss-Dory, I should say. And um, it's a good melodic rock song, and I don't think this song nearly got its fair shake as far as radio is concerned. I think it it actually could have been a, not a hit necessarily, but I think it could have been in regular rotation if radio stations were giving much attention. It's like they had Heavens on Fire broke out of the gate, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, we can ignore this now, you know, but... uh, Thrills in the Night, and Mark's solo on it and lead playing on it is really tasteful. You know, as much as you hear about, you know, Mark couldn't play the same thing twice and everything. I, Yeah, I know the, the solo's really fast, but it's a, it's a very well-played rock and roll solo. I thought it was great. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I like that song. I didn't pick it as my top three, but uh, it's definitely one of those great songs that, like you said, Kiss just didn't it didn't pan out for them there were there was so much going on back in that era from you know dio and 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 ozzy and and def leppard with pyromania you know that had this long two-year shelf life and all that mm-hmm. it got lost in the shuffle but it was it was a great track it truly was a great track um and boy would be fun it'd be fun to see the concept video that they filmed for it yeah wouldn't it uh I, I guess if they ever do an animalized deluxe box set, we would, uh, well, probably not get to see it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. We, we do have the live, sort of live in Detroit clip yeah. that floats around. But, uh, hey, right. it's a great track. Um, shall we uh, move along to my number two on this one? Yeah. Let's go, let's go to your number two, Mitch. Uh, I've had enough Into the Fire. Um, again from Animalize because with Mark we only have Animalize I, I just think it is a a great album cut much like he was saying for Thrills in the Night I think it should have could have done better at radio uh, done better at MTV I definitely think it should have been in the set list from 1984 to you know 1994, I, I think Bruce could have done a great job coming in and playing that on the Hot in the Shade tour or on the Revenge tour. Um, just a great track. Another one of those lost Kiss gems. Definitely. The kind of song that Motley Crue doesn't have in their back catalog. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send you the songs I think would fit fine in their set list. <laughs> okay. Livewire, the remix. Uh, so on that note I also picked I've had enough into the fire and I think this is the I think this is Mark's best playing in Kiss I you know they picked the first track he was on 
it's just man. I mean, if they wanted to make a statement of Vinnie Vincent is gone, but who gives a shit? Check out this guy. They did it with that song because <laughs> it was, you know, I think that was almost what they were wanting to say. Because like, Vinnie was took a lot of pride in saying, you know, trying to be the fastest player on earth, and they get a guy who's equally as fast with Mark. So not as good of a writer by any means, but they got a guy who could definitely shred just as much as Vinnie could when he did but this. But much and, better looking. <laughs> I'm not. I don't go on any. I don't care what. Any of them. Uh, Mark kind of stuck out like a sore thumb too. So he was much taller. And, and, but both we better did. looking than Gene in the '80s. So I'll give them that. Yeah, Gene had his nose job around that time. But um, but yeah, it's a it's a cool song. It's a it's it's song. This song is, in my opinion, as competitive with any of the other hard rock bands that were out at the time. Completely, I think it, like you said, it would have done fine at radio. Um, and if you were a Kiss fan at the time, that would be one where you would play it for your friends and say, "Check this out. That's Kiss. You know, that's not the band that did I Was Made for Loving You." You know, it would uh, it kind of put them almost like a Judas Priest type influence a little bit. Yeah, agreed. Great song. I think I think that's the clear winner when it comes to Mark St. John. But uh, we'll get to our third tracks in a minute. All right. I guess that, that... I guess we should get to our third track. Yeah, I'm I'm good yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'm just gonna go for the very easy pick. Um, just because it's had such longevity, it, it became a classic. I'm just gonna go with Heaven's on Fire. We could argue about Burn Bitch Burn and Thrills in the Night, but I, I think Heaven's on Fire is just a very simple riff, but a very effective riff. And the fact that folks, you know, what is it, 30 years later now, still love that song. It still gets radio play. It still gets played. It's, you know, they'll pull it out of the show. You know, yeah, yeah. how can you not pick that? Um, I cannot pick that. <laughs> I I think the song, I think Heaven's on Fire is entirely overrated. I think it's a catchy song, but ugh, I just, I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of, I just never have liked that song all that much. It's just dumbed down for for radio and it it worked for them they sold albums from it but that and i I think lick it up's also a very overrated song i think both of those are kind of like well these are simple color by numbers anthems for the 80s and they and it worked for them but i'd much rather hear i'd rather hear i've had enough than heaven's on fire agreed uh you know i would much rather hear anything than heaven's on fire but (laughs) at the end of the day yeah, but at the end of the day, if you're talking about a song that that's that's effective and has had staying power, uh, unfortunately, it wins. I mean, it, it you know, not my not necessarily my cup of tea. I didn't really like it in the '80s, but I, I respect the song. And if we're talking about songs that these guys put their stamp on, I just I got to go with that. Yeah, I well, it, it it did help save them during that period. You know, aside from Vinnie Vincent saving them, it helped save them. <laughs> Mark St. John saved Kiss. See? Yeah. Certainly more than Vinny did. Oh, we're not even getting into that. <laughs> See, um, I'm hitting all the I'm hitting all the buzzwords tonight. I'm <laughs> talking set lists, I'm discussing Vinny. Yeah, Mitch knows everything that gets me riled up, so um, I should be on a Kiss show, honestly. You should. Um, <laughs> be great at it. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. You ever think about uh, doing that? <laughs> Uh, not recently, but, uh, I don't think it would be, I don't think it would go over very well these days. I've, I've had a a small, uh, bump in my kiss love affair, but that's okay. 
I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll always be there. Well, I I want to pick Heavens on Fire just to make Victor have to have to pick something because we've made it very easy for him so far. So, uh, but I don't I don't I don't like the song that much. I'll I'll I'm gonna go with Get All You Can Take. I think it's a I think it's a pretty cool song from an '80s Kiss album. Mitch Wiseman helped write the song. I think that's kind of neat. And um, the fact that it says "What fucking difference does it make?" is like, ooh, Paul cursed, you know, which was the beginning of a trend in that time. But uh, that's right, all the way up to the uh, "Fuck" shirt on the Revenge video, yeah, or the uh, Unholy video, very edgy. And tour. <sighs> so edgy. <laughs> <laughs> and at five o'clock shadow too. And I got. They got to duct tape their T-shirt so MTV wouldn't be mad. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's a it's a pretty cool song, and Mark, Mark's playing on it's really good. I'm, Animalize is not really my favorite album at all, but it's uh, that's a so that's a strong song on there that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. People don't typically have that as a go-to, but I think it's I like the uh, the vocal melody on the chorus especially. I think it's a cool song. Yeah, agreed. Uh, but you you do bring up an interesting point. Uh, a lot of folks have said to me over the years, I discovered Kiss when Animalize came out. Animalize is such a great album. And, and I've always thought, wow, it's, it's, it's only a stone's throw away from The Elder as being one of the absolute worst. Um, how can you like that? But okay, to each his own. You know. I like to say that about Crazy Nights and other people think I'm nuts. So. Well, I know that, that, that there's a certain host on a Kiss show that thinks that that's the, world, the world's greatest album. And... Uh, I just don't know how anybody could think that. Uh, I don't think it's the world's know. greatest album. I think it's a good album, though. It's a it's a fun album, but it, it's certainly not in the top five or ten of Kiss. I mean, uh, after Revenge and, and Creatures of the Night, and and of course the first three and Love Gun, and uh, it's mm. way you know it starts sliding. I'd put it in the top ten. Well, yeah, because. The bottom, the bottom twenty are all greatest hits compilations. So, well, there you go. <laughs> That's how I justify it being in the top. No, I like it. Actually, I always have liked it. Yeah. But it was my first Kiss album, so that that makes a difference. It does, and you know that's why I have a special connection to Unmasked. You know that was when I first interviewed Gene, and and to me that album was everything. Even though, if I were to step back from the emotional attachment, I have mm-hmm. to say not that great but yeah i don't like that album much at all either so uh, i just it's... love it you know when you're 11 years old and gene simmons a kiss without makeup hands you a promo copy of an album that hasn't come out yet well yeah that's gonna yeah, yeah. it's gonna affect but... your enjoyment of it well and what i always say is even when i think a kiss album is like one of their worst it's still better than most other bands albums to me you know agreed agreed and that's why we've loved them for 35, 40 years now. Yep. We need to compare Crazy Night's keyboards to um, Unmasked's bongos. <laughs> hey, Unmasked, Unmasked had a whole bunch of cool stuff going on. Come on. <laughs> Anton Fig Rocks. Tom Harper playing the bass on Shandy. Yeah, that's right. And I had a great interview with Tom. Tom was great. Yeah. We and uh, to- I just interviewed another guy who, who was on Unmasked. I just had... Uh, sat down with Pepe Castro and uh, he was talking about uh, the unmasked uh, albums and he was talking about a blues magoos album i uh, sorry no the balance album that he did with Bob Kulick that Paul Stanley asked actually ghosted on so oh, really? that was 
Yeah, he uh, he, he pointed out each and every song that Paul uh, is a part of and uh, said that they had some kind of contract or some kind of arrangement or understanding that it could never be spoken of publicly. Really? So, yeah, so go listen to the uh, the Balanced album and, and listen for Paul's voice because it's there. And uh, I've actually checked it out. And, yep, when you know, you can hear it. I'll check that out. Yeah. I'll have to do the same. That, that's similar with the uh, Wendy O. Williams album, which I've discussed quite a bit online lately, and a lot of people don't realize that's like the closest thing to a Kiss album that came out in the 80s that wasn't a Kiss album oh, it, due to all their involvement. It was absolutely a Kiss album, and it was um, one of the first Kiss albums that, I mean, who, who was on there? Ace was on there, Eric was on there, Eric's uh, car, I should say, Paul, Gene, uh, Vinny was on there. Vinny was on there, yeah. I mean, it, it was sort of the, you know, if you could just have had Peter Chris sing it rather than Wendy O. Williams, it would have been the first reunion tour album masterpiece you know it really was it's shocking though that it got to be all of kiss without being called kiss and and if you look at the timing of the album too the the other interesting thing is that this was after ace had left the band already Correct. and he was brought in to do solos so yeah it's it has all types of different uh, historical importance when it comes to the band absolutely yeah it, it was so what was album. What would Wendy O. Williams' makeup character be? Uh, the hooker. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I mean, what else could it be? I don't know. I just wanted to set See, it up for it. It's this kind of Mitch Kiss talk that folks have missed for the last six, ten months or whatever. <laughs> well, we, we hope that at least these uh, once-a-month shows will help um, Stay, you know, bring that out again. Days, like. Yeah. I've been banned. Yeah, so, I, I've been banned from Kiss shows or certain Kiss shows. Oh no! Really? Yeah, that's all right. You're I think banned. it's. I think it's. I think it's adorable. So no reunion tour, huh? <laughs> ah, the money's good. I, listen, I I think it's the most adorable thing. First of all, I'm in no rush to go running back to any kind of Kiss show, but uh, certainly a guest spot once in a while would be entertaining. But no, 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 I've been banned. You got to get um, George Stewart to get in touch with them and represent you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but what, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? Well, you, you know what your problem is is you don't bash certain ex members enough when you don't get their interviews. So, but, and you know what? I got an Ace Fraley interview in the last five months, so uh, oh. I win, <laughs> right? <laughs> and. Uh, I've been talking to uh, other ex-members recently, and uh, none of them are, are going to be doing interviews, but the fact that I have contact with them and know certain things, I'm good, I'm comfortable, I'm happy. So, you know. Yeah, I guess the, my only issue is the whole feeding the troll business. It's just, come on. <laughs> I know. Oh, well, that's ego stroking. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a marketing technique. But it works, you know what? Yeah, yes, it is. It works, and, and you look at Paul Stanley, for example, saying all the nonsense that he says these days about all these people that screwed me, and I don't even know if he truly believes it. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Only Paul really knows. But it's a masterstroke because I threw it up on my uh, Facebook, 
And I never said anything about Paul. I never said Paul's an idiot or Paul's mean or Paul. I just said, hey, Paul said that he got screwed over. And it ended up getting like 570 comments or something. Mm-hmm. And that's the effectiveness of a Kiss message. It's sometimes when you don't have a new album or you don't have a new tour, you got to get the conversation going or keep the conversation going. And controversy is the way to do it. Um, you know, I was interviewing uh, George Lynch recently and uh, he came up with the with the Dawkins comments. And I said, you know, hey, you and Don. And he says, you know, we don't really hate each other. It's it's our record company's PR department that created all of that because we weren't a very sexy band and there wasn't a lot of news. So they created news so that people would talk about us. And, uh, you know, I think that's what Gene and Paul do. I mean, how many times have people said, Gene Simmons says rock is dead? Yeah. Oh, God, I'm so sick of hearing about this. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what? He said four or five words and it has taken up the public space we're over a month now. So, you know, job well done. Yeah. And and there's no other way to do it. If Gene said, we have a new song, how long would that have lasted in the cycle? A day, two days, maybe a week? But yeah. Rock is Dead has lasted, I think, six weeks now in the news cycles. And it keeps coming up. So it's master stroke. So when Paul says the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame screwed us over and Macy screwed us over, he may or may not actually believe that. But what he does is stoke that that machine and it's brilliant it's it's a yeah. master stroke so you know there you go there you go folks that's my my rantings on kiss for the evening <laughs> we're gonna have to have a, a segment like an andy rooney type segment with mitch yeah. right come in and rant hello <laughs> hello folks it's time for mitch to bitch yeah that's right <laughs> feels good though it's certainly better than showing spencer's stuff Oh, that was so fun, though, right? Oh, that was a blast. Mm. Uh, What was more entertaining is that I was encouraged to show the stuff um, for comical purposes. But, of of course, course, once once the joke ran out, it was, Mitch is a loser, and we have a new guy that doesn't show Spencer stuff. And it's like, all right, folks, I love you. I love you. That's okay. It's all right. It's all right. I just love the whole... um... Like uh, going on and says, stop bashing and stop stop trolling, and then at the same time turning around and trolling and bashing. <laughs> just, <laughs> I, that's why I, one of one of my I was reading their stuff one day and I just kind of was just like this. I was rolling my eyes and I just posted a status update that said, "How black is that kettle? None, none more black." Right, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, there you go, folks. I have to actually get to another interview. My my nonstop interviewing day and Tell um, Vinny said hi. Yeah, I'd love I'd love it to be Vinny. Um, <laughs> perhaps. Wait, you're not Vinny. That's right. No, he's Vinny. That's right. Chris is Vinny. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I tell myself hi. <laughs> you know, the last time I heard uh, somebody was mentioning that Vinny was available for interviews, mm-hmm. but wanted ten thousand dollars for a fifteen minute spot. And all yep. questions had to be pre-approved, yep. and he would have his que- his answers pre-written, and <laughs> you were not to deviate from the script. And it's like, I could write that uh, interview for free then. <laughs> yeah, and, and quite frankly, uh, it was somebody out at a media place in New York City, and uh, they were like, 
we want to get Vinny on the air because it's interesting and Kiss is always a hot topic, but I don't think anybody cares enough to pay $10,000. <laughs> I'm as big a fan of Joe Fine, and there's no way in hell, even if I had the money, I would pay that kind of money for it. No. It's it's ridiculous. No. Even through crowdfunding, he's screwed so many of the hardcore fans over that there's no way in hell that he would get anywhere close to that to be interviewed. Yeah, but Professor's thought... right. Yeah. You know, even if I was Steve Jobs or, or I had money of the, you know, I wouldn't even give him, you know, $100,000 for one hour without, you know, it's just, just like, dude, you, you either talk or you don't. And if you don't, well, okay, go away. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show.